things my way. Do I have to keep on talking? Now listen, the reason we're all laughing at that video right now is because we've been there, haven't we? I mean, listen, if you're married, you used to be married, or if you've ever dated anyone for longer than about six months, you've had that conversation, right? Ladies, there's something bothering you. You need to talk about it. And all you want is for your man to sit there, to listen, to be understanding, to be empathetic. And guys, while our ladies are talking, we are inside of our minds devising a brilliant plan that we know will fix all of her issues, And what we're trying to figure out while she's talking is how in the world do I convince her to stop talking long enough so that I can share my plan with her, right? We've all been there. Now, why in the world do we have these moments in our relationships and in our marriages? Well, the reason why is simple, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. It's because as men and women, we're very different creatures, And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really, really good thing. As we talked about in the beginning of this series, God actually designed us as men and women to be equal but different from one another. But but here's what we have to understand. Because we're all sinful, imperfect people who all have tendencies to act in very selfish, very prideful ways at times, if we're not careful, those God-given differences can actually divide us and land us on different pages in our marriage relationships. So as we close out this series today, what I want to do is really, really simple. Um, Instead of just going to one passage like I normally do and, and preaching through it, I want to spend time this morning teaching on nine practical things that we as spouses, or, or for you single people, high school kids, middle school kids, even future spouses can do to ensure that our differences don't divide us as husbands and wives. So with that being said, we're going to dive in because we've got a lot to cover today. And I really want to encourage you today, take notes. Even if you don't usually take notes, find some paper, find a pen, grab a crayon, lipstick, whatever you have, and take notes today because I really think these things we're going to talk through are going to be helpful for us all, okay? So first, first and foremost, you want to stay on the same page in your marriage? It starts with this. It starts by you pursuing Jesus, um, have you guys ever seen that triangle illustration where, where Jesus is at the top, husband's on one side, wife's on the other side? You've seen this. It looks something like this, right? And, and the whole idea behind the illustration is that as husbands and wives, you know, we, we pursue Jesus and we grow closer to him. We move up our side of the triangle. And as we do, what, what ends up happening naturally is that we grow closer together, right? Now, for some of us, This is really cliche. For some of us, we've seen this a hundred times. But the reality of this illustration, listen, it's very, very true. You see, the Bible teaches that as we pursue Jesus as individuals through things like reading the Bible, prayer, serving others, living in obedience, coming to church services like this one, that God the Holy Spirit actually transforms us more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. So here's the beauty of this. As we, as individuals, pursue Jesus on a daily basis, as husbands and wives, what ends up happening is we become more and more and more like Jesus. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we become more and more like one another. And Jesus, at the end of the day, is the one person who keeps us united and on the same page. Listen, I cannot underscore the importance of having a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus. If you want a healthy, growing 
um, marriage, one that is good for you, one that's honoring to God, you have to know that that kind of marriage begins and ends with Jesus at the center. So listen, husbands and wives, you have to pursue Jesus every day above all else in life. That's where it has to start. And I'm telling you, if you miss this point, none of the other things I'm going to teach on today matter. Now, singles in the room, here's the advice that I would give you. I would encourage you, as you're single, to make it the goal of your life to run after Jesus with everything you are and everything you have. Make it the goal of your life to pursue him above all else. And and here's what you do, all right? When you're running as hard and as fast as you can after Jesus, here's what you do. You look over and you see who's on the other side of that triangle, and that's the person you want to date. And that's the person that eventually you want to marry someday. Second thing, we want to stay on the same page in our marriages. We have to remember uh, perspective. It matters so much, and we can't lose it, okay? I said this in, uh, in week one of this series, and I'm going to say it again today. According to the scriptures, marriage is the deepest of all human relationships, meaning that it comes second only to our relationship with God, and it comes before all other relationships and responsibilities in life. And, and if you lose perspective on that truth, here's what will happen. You won't treat your marriage relationship like you should, And as husbands and wives, your differences will end up dividing you. There's a simple priority list that that I've adopted in order to keep a right perspective on my marriage. And I want to share it with you today in hopes that it'll be helpful for some of you. And here's my list, and I'll make sense of it. Um, I see myself as Christian, husband, father, and pastor in that order. So take notice of this, all right? I love this church, and I love all of you in the room. But you got to understand, you're fourth on my list. There's a lot of other stuff in my life that's more important to me than you are. And listen, you need it to be that way. And do you know why? Because one, if I'm not pursuing Jesus with everything that I am, I shouldn't be pastor in this church. And secondly, listen, the scripture teaches me as a pastor that if I'm not loving my wife well and leading my home well, that I'm not fit to be the pastor of this church. So you need to be fourth on my list. My daughter even though I love her more than life itself. She's third on my list. I'm more committed to her mom than I am to her. And guess what? My daughter needs it to be that way. And you know why? She needs it to be that way so that she can enjoy growing up in a happy, healthy, Jesus-centered home and so that she can understand the type of man that she should marry one day. The only person, the only relationship that comes before my relationship with my wife, Amber, is my relationship with Jesus. And my wife needs it to be that way. And do you know why? Because if I'm not loving Jesus first, then I can't love her like Jesus loves his church. And that's what I'm called to do for her as her husband. See, look, we can't lose perspective, husbands and wives. We've got to always remember that these two relationships come first and foremost. And all other responsibilities and relationships in life have to take a back seat if we want to stay on the same page in marriage. Third thing. Third thing, act like friends. Act like friends. You want to stay on the same page in marriage? Act like friends. Here's a simple question for you, married couples. Do you actually view your spouse as your friend? And the reason I ask you that question is simple, because according to the Bible, you should. 
In Proverbs 2.17, when marriage is described there, the word alup, A-L-L-U-F, it's a Hebrew word, it's used to describe spouses as being special confidants or best friends. In the book of Song of Solomon, the writer actually refers to her spouse in chapter 5, verse 16, as her lover and friend. In Genesis 2, when God creates Eve for Adam, the Bible uses another Hebrew word called ezer, E-Z-E-R, to describe Eve, which means helper, companion, or friend. Do you view each other as friends, husbands and wives? You see, unfortunately, what happens in a lot of marriages is this. Husbands and wives miss this biblical idea of friendship completely, and as a result, they end up divided and acting more like roommates or even enemies than friends. And if you're wondering, well, James, how in the world do we prevent that from happening in our marriage? Or James, that's, that's where we are. How do we cultivate friendship so that that doesn't define our marriage relationship? Well, I'll give you some easy ideas, all right? Um, in the book Real Marriage, written by Mark and Grace Driscoll, they describe healthy marriages in which spouses act like friends as marriages marked by both shoulder-to-shoulder and face-to-face activity. And, and here's what that means. All right, guys in the room, we develop friendships with other guys, most of us, through shoulder-to-shoulder activity, meaning that we can go out with the boys, we can watch a game, right? We sit shoulder to shoulder, we can play golf, we shoulder to shoulder, we work out, we go fishing, and we don't have to say more than two words to each other and we leave as better friends, don't we? This drives my wife insane, by the way. I'll come home from guys' nights and she'll say, man, did you guys have fun? Oh, we had a great time. And she'll say, what did you talk about? And I will say, absolutely nothing. And she can't believe you guys had to talk about something. I'm like, we didn't talk about anything. We just stared at a screen and cheered on the the team we were watching. She doesn't get it. And you know why? Because women, unlike men, develop friendships most oftentimes through face-to-face activity. Meaning that women, what you like to do is you like to go out for dinner, for coffee, and you will sit across a table from one another for hours on end and talk about God knows what, and you will leave as better friends, right? Now listen, in healthy marriages, both of these these things have to be present. There needs to be both shoulder-to-shoulder activity and face-to-face activity if you want to actually act like friends in marriage. So ladies in the room, what this means for you is this. It means that there need to be times when you sit down and you just watch a game with your man without saying anything. Um, It means that you at times need to do a project with your guy um, uh, at the house just alongside of him doing something together. It means that at times you need to get outside and do something that he enjoys. And by sharing in that shoulder-to-shoulder activity, do you know what you've said to your husband? He said, I want to be your friend. You've just worked on your friendship. Men, there need to be times where you take initiative and you schedule dinner or coffee or a weekend away and you spend time sitting across the table face-to-face with your wife, talking about things that are important to her. And by sharing in that face-to-face activity, guess what you've said to your wife? I want to be your friend. You've cultivated friendship. So listen, here's an easy way to get this started. If you don't already do this, schedule a weekly date night. Get your kids to somebody else and plan regular shoulder-to-shoulder and face-to-face activity. One week, do something shoulder-to-shoulder. The next week, do something face-to-face. And husbands and wives, listen, Act like friends, and I promise it'll help you to stay on the same page in marriage. Next thing, fourth, you've got to set right expectations for one another. 
If you don't want your differences to divide you, you have to set right expectations for one another. But one of the quickest ways to divide your marriage is by holding your spouse to a set of wrong expectations. And, and there's a lot of wrong expectations we can hold one another to, but I'm gonna give you just two wrong expectations that I've seen impact marriages in very detrimental ways so that you can understand what I mean when I say this. All right? First is this. I've seen a lot of spouses hold a slave expectation for either their husband or wife. Um, for a wife, this could play out like this. It could be my husband is in this marriage in order to make a lot of money, buy me clothes, buy me cars, get me a house, other nice expensive stuff. Um, my husband is in this marriage just so that I can have babies and, and I don't really want to engage in this relationship with him as my husband anymore. I'm just using him to have a kid um, husbands, on the other hand, this could play out for you like this. I'm married to my wife, right? And in this marriage, I expect her to clean my house, cook my food, take care of my children, have sex whenever I want it. That's the slave expectation. You, you're my slave. This expectation, it's rooted in pride and selfishness. It makes marriage all about me. And at the end of the day, the result is spouses who constantly take from one another without ever giving anything. The second wrong expectation I've seen in a lot of marriages is this. It's a, it's a savior expectation. And here's how this savior expectation often plays out. Ladies, um, it causes you to expect that your husband is going to be like Ryan Gosling in the notebook, Right? Like you think of your husband and your expectation for him is this, right? He's always going to get me. He's going to read my mind. He's going to know what I'm thinking and feeling without me ever having to open my mouth. He's going to be my knight in shining armor. He's going to come in, rescue me, and save the day. That's what my husband's going to be for me. He's going to be my savior. Now, ladies, I don't want to burst your bubble, but can I just remind you of something? The notebook's fake, man. <laughs> People in Hollywood get paid a lot of money to make movies that have nothing to do with real life so that we can actually escape it. And I'm just telling you, ladies, no guy can live up to those expectations. And if you expect a man to be that for you, you're going to be very, very disappointed. Now, there are also guys who hold this savior expectation for their wife as well. And here's how this typically plays out. This is usually that guy um, whose mom took care of them their entire life. And they're looking for a woman to come into a marriage and to do the same. I'm looking for a lady to be my savior. These are those guys who don't cook, don't clean, don't wash their own clothes. Listen, because they don't know how. Mom always did it for them. And they're looking for a savior, a mom figure that they can marry so that they can do the same for them in their marriage relationship. Now listen to me. The problem with both of these expectations is this book I'm holding in my hand, the Bible. See, the Bible tells us that marriage is not about us finding a slave or a savior. If you want a savior, I have great news for you. You can have a savior, and his name is Jesus, and you can have him today. Ladies, if you want a man who always knows what you're thinking, who can read your mind without you ever having to open your mouth, who gets you completely, look to Jesus. He can be that man for you. Your husband cannot. Do not put those expectations on him. I promise he'll let you down every time. Men, do you want a slave or a servant? 
Here's some bad news. You're not entitled to that. You have no right to that. Instead, the Bible teaches, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that as a husband, you should love your wife like Jesus loves his church, meaning you give your life up for her, and you spend every day of your life serving her because being a leader is about being a servant. Do not put your marriage in jeopardy by holding one another to a set of wrong expectations. Let's keep going. Number five, number five. You want to stay on the same page in your marriage, you have to learn to fight fair. You have to learn to fight fair. Um, Disagreements and fights are inevitable in marriage. I mean, when you put two sinful people in the same house and expect them to live together every day for the rest of their lives, conflict is bound to happen. And the thing, listen, that makes or breaks a lot of marriages is the decision that spouses make on how to fight when conflict actually arises. So how in the world can, can we fight fair in order to stay on the same page in our marriage? Well, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to use this passage to give you some advice, okay? Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. You see, in describing love in this passage, Paul points to what I believe is great advice on how to handle conflict and disagreements in marriage. And based on this passage, here's the advice I'd give you about how to fight fair. First, when fights happen and when conflict arises, be patient and kind with one another. Don't be prideful. Don't use words to cut each other down. Don't speak to one another in dishonoring ways. And whatever you do, do not operate out of anger. If you're too angry to fight fair with your spouse, I'm going to give you permission to do something. Go to separate rooms, take a break, cool off, and come back together to talk when you can do so respectfully. But when conflict arises, I'd also say don't fight to get your own way. I mean, Paul says when we love one another, it's not about us being self-seeking, right? So you've got to understand, when conflict arises in a marriage, the goal is not to win a fight. The goal is to resolve conflict so that intimacy is restored back into the marriage. And so you have to understand that in order to do so, at times, you've got to put aside your need to be right, your need to win for the sake of your husband or wife. Another thing, don't bring up the past, don't bring up, do you know how detrimental it is to your marriage when you get historical on your spouse? Remember what you did last week? Remember two years ago when you said this, you did this? Remember five years ago? Remember we were dating and you acted like this? And it is so detrimental to your marriage when you bring up stuff that you've already worked through and you throw it back in each other's faces. If you want to fight fair, don't get historical on your spouse. Another thing, be quick to apologize and quick to forgive. If you've done something wrong or something that's hurt your spouse, be humble enough to admit it and to say you're sorry. And listen, if your spouse apologizes for something that they've done wrong, I would advise you to be quick to forgive them. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold what they've done against them. I love what Ruth Graham says. She says a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Listen, fights are gonna happen, and when they do, fight fair, forgive quickly, And when it's tough for you to do that, here's my advice. You just remember how much God has forgiven you. Um, Six, six. Have sex and have it often. Want to stay on the same page in marriage? Have sex 
and have it often. All the guys in the room just started taking notes, right? They're like looking for a pen. Guess what I'm right with, bro? Listen, I don't say this to be crude. You know, I'm not the shock preacher that just says stuff to make people cringe. I'm offering this as advice because the Bible actually teaches this. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul, in talking about sex in marriage, he says this in verses 3 through 5. He says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now listen, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, Paul's pointing out something we all know and get, right? And that is that as human beings, we all have sexual desires, And these are good desires. They're natural. They're actually given to us by God himself. And Paul says that as husbands and wives, that we should actually serve one another in this area by having sex and having it often in order to satisfy one another's sexual desires. And and Paul says, as we just read, that a failure to do so could result in sexual temptation. Now, listen. I'm not going to be on the stage condoning any kind of sexual activity out of marriage. Like, I don't believe there's ever any excuse for pornography or adultery or anything else that happens outside of your marriage. But, but listen to me. To Paul's point, as husbands and wives, we have a responsibility to make sure that our spouses never deal with the temptation to do those things by taking it upon ourselves to meet their physical needs. So the advice I'd give you is this. Make sex a priority in your marriage and serve one another in this way as often as possible. Pick two or three nights out of the week. Add it to your calendar to make sure it happens. And listen, I know you laugh at some of us are like, James, that's crazy. That's not romantic at all. Add it to the calendar. I mean, don't we put everything important on our calendars? When something makes our calendar, what does it say about that thing? This is important to me. This is a priority. And the reason I'd encourage you to do so is this. And life is crazy and busy and stressful for probably all of us in the room. A lot of us, we work long hours. Um, some of us are, are doing school on top of that. We have kids to take care of, homes to manage. And if we wait around for that one magical night when both of us just happen to be in the mood, our sex lives will be non-existent. And I'm just telling you, listen to me, this is important. And wives, I'm really, really wanting you to hear this, all right? When that happens, resentment can set in, bitterness can set in, sexual temptation can set in, and as spouses, we can easily end up divided and very distant from one another. And the reason why is simple. Because God designed sex to be more than just a physical act. See, when you read this book, you find that sex is actually this very intimate physical act that God created for the purpose of binding together a husband and wife at a very deep emotional and spiritual level. So you have to understand that according to the Bible, sex has great power to keep husbands and wives bound together. And I'm just telling you, and you refuse to make this physical act important in your marriage, your marriage will suffer on so many different levels as a result. So again, to Paul's point, 1 Corinthians 7, husbands and wives, become servant lovers to one another. 
Wives, this might mean for you, you helping your husband out when you don't even really feel like it. And you do so because you want to serve your husband. Husbands, on the rare occasion that she wants it and you don't, right? That, that means you do it anyway. And you serve your wife in this area. And listen, I promise, I promise, I promise that by doing so, you will enjoy greater intimacy in your marriage on so many different levels. Now, singles in the room, I wanna give you some advice on sex as well, all right? You have to know that this book teaches consistently and constantly that sex is for marriage. That sex, again, it's more than just a physical act, but that it was given to us by God as a gift for husbands and wives to unite us on a very, very deep level. And singles, when you use sex outside of God's creation design, his plan, what you do is you treat it like it's nothing more than just a physical act. So I'm just encouraging you in this, and you can do your own study on this. I'm encouraging you, singles, high school kids, middle school kids, don't have sex till you're married. And if you've already had sex or you're having sex now, somebody you're not married to, stop having sex and don't have sex anymore until you're married. And I just need you to understand, God's not trying to frustrate you. He's not trying to steal from you by putting these boundaries around sex. Listen, I'll get real personal for a minute. Take it from a guy who messed up in this area. There is a difference between sex inside marriage and outside marriage. And I promise you, the best thing that you can do for you and the most honoring thing that you can do for God is to use sex as he designed it to be used. Let's keep going. Number seven, speak each other's love language. You want to stay united in marriage as husband and wife? Speak each other's love language. One of the best things that my wife and I have done in our marriage is read this book together that you see the cover of on the screens, The Five Love Languages, by Gary Chapman. In this book, he describes five different ways that we as individuals feel loved by our spouses in marriage. And those five ways are quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving of gifts, and acts of service. Now, when my wife and I read this book together and we, sp- and we spent time talking about it, I came to um, a simple conclusion. Here's the conclusion. My wife needs me to love her in a much different way than I need her to love me. See, my wife is a quality time girl, okay? My wife, in order to feel love, she needs me to put away work, to put away um, anything I'm consumed with, to spend face-to-face time, to take her on dates, to just spend time talking about life, laughing together, enjoying things that we love. That's what she needs in order to feel loved by me. And since we've had a kid two and a half years ago, um, she also feels loved a lot when I serve her through performing acts of service, whether it's at our house or just helping with our daughter, Now, me, on the other hand, I'm like 99% of guys in this world. Ladies, listen, guys are easy, all right? Here's most of us. I'm a words of affirmation guy. I'm a physical touch guy. Most guys are, meaning that, ladies, if you tell us we're awesome and touch us every once in a while, we feel loved by you, all right? You have won us over. Husbands and wives, here's the encouragement I'm going to give you, okay? Get on Amazon this week. Buy this book, all right? You can find a used copy for a couple bucks. Buy the book, read it together, figure out what your love language is, and as spouses, be intentional to speak one another's language as often as possible. Eighth, eighth, this is huge. You want to stay united in marriage? You got to remember the bigger story that marriage is meant to tell. 
I mentioned this in last week's message, but I want to bring it up again because I really want to make sure we get this, all right? We have to understand that God created and designed marriage to tell a bigger story than just our story. As we learned earlier in this series, husbands, we're to love our wives like Christ loved his church. And wives, your role in marriage is to come under the authority and leadership of your husband just as the church comes under the authority and leadership of Jesus. And the reason God designed marriage to work this way is simple. So that our marriage relationships, when lived out correctly, would tell the story of God's loving pursuit of us and our joyful submission to him as our God. This is why I always tell couples who want me to marry them when I sit down and meet with them before the wedding, I always tell them, you just gotta understand, you say I do, your relationship instantly gets harder. I always tell them, you say I do, you make a covenant with one another and with God, you have to know that Satan, your enemy, he's gonna come after you and he's gonna try to do everything in his power to tear your relationship apart and here's why. Because our enemy knows that if he can tear our marriages apart, he's not just tearing apart a human relationship, he's tearing apart a relationship that has the power and ability to point people who are far from God back to the Jesus they need. Our marriages, church, were meant to tell a bigger story. So that means for us that, man, we've got to take our marriages so seriously. We've got to remember that our marriages serve a greater purpose than our own personal happiness. And we've got to work hard, really hard to do our part in marriage. Listen, so that Jesus is honored and our marriages tell the bigger story they're meant to tell. Make Jesus the point of your marriage. And I promise his story will keep you united. Last thing, last thing. Keep the end in mind. You want to stay united in marriage? You've got to keep the end of your marriage in mind. And I don't mean like a couple years from now when things get tough and you throw in the towel. I mean like the end. Here's how I'll ask it. Husbands and wives, what do you want your marriage to look like on its last day? 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now. When you're old and gray and one of you is lying on your deathbed, and you finally close your eyes in death, and the marriage is done. What do you want your marriage to look like on that day? What do you want your kids to say about your marriage? What do you want your grandkids to remember about the way that grandma and grandpa loved each other? What do you want friends and outsiders to say when they bring up your marriage relationship and conversation? Have you ever thought about that? Do you even know, like as husbands and wives, have you ever talked about that before? If not, I would encourage you to have that conversation today over lunch. What do we want our marriage to look like on the last day? And here's why this is so important, okay? Because if you know what you want, what you want your marriage to look like on its last day, you're going to have so much more clarity on what you need to do and not do so that it actually ends up there. And I'll tell you what I want for my marriage on its last day. I want my kids on my marriage's last day to remember that their mom and dad's marriage always lined up with the Bible, was always centered on Jesus, and I want my kids to be envious of the marriage that they saw mom and dad having. I want my grandkids to bring us up in conversation and to dream about the day that they can have a marriage like their grandparents had. I want friends and outsiders to bring my marriage up in conversation on its last day and to say to one another, we know that God is so real because we saw the love of Jesus so clearly reflected in the way that James and Amber loved each other. That's what I want. 
I want to be that old guy, hold my wife's hand, kissing her on the lips, telling her how beautiful she is, still on marriage's last day. That's what I want. And I have to assume, for most of us in the room, that's what we want for our marriage. That's what we want our marriage last day to look like. Well, here's what we've all got to understand. We're not going to have those kinds of marriages by accident. We're not just going to magically end up there one day. It's going to take all of us getting out of bed every day, keeping in mind what we want the last day of marriage to look like, and working our butts off to get there. It's going to take us pursuing Jesus both individually and together. It's going to take us pursuing each other above all other relationships in life. It's going to require us to refuse to give up when times get tough and we all have to choose to do our part in marriage so that Jesus is made much of through our lives. We've got to chase that day down with everything that's in us and refuse to give up along the way. What do you want your marriage to look like on its last day? I want to close this series out today by praying that God would help us to get there. Because it's going to take his help. It's going to take his grace if we want our marriages to become what I think we want them to become. And so today we want to close the whole series out by just giving you as husbands and wives time to pray with one another, to pray for one another. So here's what I want to ask all the husbands and the wives in the room to do right now. Grab your hand, grab each other's hand. If you walked in mad to church today, this would be a great time for reconciliation to take place, all right? Grab each other's hand, put your arm around one another, whatever it is that you do to show that other person affection. And in just a moment, in just a moment, Matt's gonna come out, he's gonna sing a song. It's not a song we want you to sing, we just want you to listen. But I want you to spend this time praying for one another and praying with one another. If you want to do it in your seat, feel free. If you want to kneel at your chair, feel free. If you want to come up here and kneel at the front of the stage as an altar before the Lord, you feel free to do that. Whatever you want to do, we're giving you permission to do it. And I realize this, this may be the first time some of you have ever prayed together or for one another in the history of your marriage. And my prayer for you is that today would start something that would stick. And that every day you would take time out and you would just do this. You pray with one another, pray for one another. Singles in the room, not to be cliche or cheesy, but take time during the next few minutes to pray for your heart, to pray for your relationship with Jesus, and to pray that you'd have wisdom in choosing whoever that future spouse is. Pray that God would help you to have clarity on who that should be, all right? So I, I want to invite us all over the room. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to give you time to pray with and for one another. Father, my prayer right now is that you invade this space. God, I pray you let your spirit fall. I pray that you speak to the hearts of husbands and wives in this moment. God, give men in this room courage to pray with their wives and for their wives, maybe for the first time ever. God, give wives in this moment a very gentle spirit with their husbands. And God, I just pray that you'd work in ways that only you can. God, we know that in order to have the marriage, God, that you've designed us to have, that you desire us to have, God, that we need your help and we need your grace. And so, God, we're just in this time praying, asking, begging you. God, give us what we need through your Holy Spirit. God, to be the husbands and wives we need to be. Father, I pray for marriages right now that are in despair. Um, God, that are hanging on by a thread. Would you do something supernatural today to turn that around? God, we believe you're powerful enough to raise anything from the dead, including marriages. And God, I pray that over some of the couples in this room right now.
Father, Lord, we give you this time, work in our lives, work in our marriage relationships, and we'll give you all the honor and glory for doing so. We love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Husbands and wives, you can do your thing.